and welcome to a brand spanking new episode of the Boys in Red and White podcast, a podcast where we now only seem to talk about league victories for Mikel's Tricky Reds. My name is Tom Dow, and as always, I'm joined by my best friend, Andre Grayson. Hello, Mr. Dow. Hello. I felt like I had to uh, vary up the intro, so uh, that's yeah, why we got it. Yeah, the preparation. I mean, it turns out me being late <laughs> for this podcast leads to uh, a stunning intro. That was, that was lovely. I, I nearly laughed over it um, <laughs> yeah you've been you've been late has uh, led to liter- literary art so mm, that's uh, fantastic beautiful okay um obviously it's been a uh, <laughs> a, a, a few days where we've played southampton twice one victory one loss we'll get onto that shortly but first we need to return to our weekly commentary quiz a quiz where we each select a piece of commentary read the commentary to the other person without any context or emotion and the other one has to guess which goal we are talking about so andre i'm gonna let you go first this week okay excellent here we go didn't we just tell you the arsenal adventurous policy pays off (laughs) do you want another line yeah (laughs) they send the central defenders forward didn't we just tell you the Arsenal adventurous policy pays off? They send the central defenders forward. Is this uh, the only one that's coming to mind? I don't. Know, I don't have a clue if this is correct or not. Uh, the only one that's coming to mind is Vermeulen against Newcastle. No, 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 incorrect. <sighs> uh, and and I, I will give you a clue. Um, and the reason I went with this one is because it's a masterful goal um, from uh, one of your heroes. Uh, that you've well, you've said that a lot actually on this podcast. Oh, is it Tony Adams against Tottenham? <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as you said one of your heroes, I was like, oh, got it, got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I actually I went with this one because uh, I was thinking about ones that I've only experienced with commentary. And this was one of them. Of course, I was, I don't know, I was five. I don't remember this game at all. But I have watched this game on, uh, they, I think they've got a like 20 minute uh, shortened down clip of this they show on Sky Sports. But also they it do, comes yeah. up from time to time before a derby. And you could just feel the electricity of Arsene Wenger's Arsenal beginning, even not having watched this game live. Uh, and it's just such an exciting one. But that goal was... Uh, Brilliant from a captain as well. Yeah, that goal was vintage Tony Adams. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's um, an enormous deflection, but it, it, it is. But it's just uh, what I love even more about that goal is the uh, the delicate flick by Bergkamp to uh, mm. knock it into the path of uh, of, of Tony Adams. Um, that was also the game that Bergkamp scored that ridiculous late goal to make it three one as well. Yes. Um, so a really really fantastic one all around. And similarly to you, that's one that. I don't have a conscious memory of from the time, but it's one that is ingrained in my head because of how many times I've seen it on, on DVDs or even old videos. I think I've seen that one. Yeah. Um, and then obviously, as you say, it does get reeled out from time to time before derbies. So yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Love it. It ends and Tony Adams has hit a cracker. Tony Adams has hit a cracker. What a volley, but watch Bergkamp's flick. A top goal 
little touches is quality. And once again, it's there. Watch this. Little outside of the right foot. Go on, Tony. A little bit of a deflection. I think it's off car. And that just rifles it into the corner. Right, I'm ready. It's Bergkamp. Oh, that's magnificent. What, is that his goal against Newcastle? It is his goal against Newcastle. That was rapid. I loved it. <laughs> well, I had a feeling you've been brewing to this, but also I, I may have watched that goal earlier as well. Um... well in, pre <laughs> in preparation. Imagine if we both picked that one. <laughs> I, I don't know how we haven't picked the same commentary yet. That's why I'm having to go, go, go into the annals of history. I mean, the greatest goal of all time, Arsenal goal of all time. Definitely up there for for an individual goal. It's definitely I don't think it's been better by by anything. Have you ever tried to recreate that touch? Of course, I've tried to recreate that touch. <laughs> I I don't even understand the physics of how I can make the ball do that. I've got a really vivid memory of trying to do that with my dad um, down at the green by where I live. Um, and I didn't even have an extra person or a cone to go around. I was just doing the touch and trying to replicate it that way. And yeah. I got nowhere near. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the thing is, it's, it's with his weaker foot as well. That's, that's the thing that always gets me. He does that with his left foot, which is his weaker foot, which makes less sense. None of it. None of it makes sense. It, it, it's it's <laughs> completely senseless <laughs> to how he produces that, um, and it's just testament to Dennis Bergkamp that he had the the speed of thought to to be able to do that. And I I, I think the whole argument about whether he meant it or not is kind of redundant because whether he meant that touch initially or not is is for me, as I just said, totally irrelevant because once he's had that touch, he still needs to react to it. And the speed to react by going, well, I'll just spin the other way because that's where the ball's going. That's as impressive as any part of that move, just consciously knowing what to do in that situation. So to, to anyone that says they didn't mean it, one, it's Dennis Bergkamp. Two, he probably did. Three, oh. fuck off. <laughs> Five minutes, I think, is a record. Um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Agreed, agreed on all counts. Two, two wonderful goals. Dennis involved heavily in both. He was, and uh, I, I, have to, I have to be honest, it took me a long time to come up with mine today, purely because every time I thought, oh, I, I use that one, I couldn't decide whether we used it before or not. <laughs> oh, there's no way we don't end up in a cycle. Uh, well, I, I've already done one twice since we've been doing the book commentary, and that was about that was about six weeks in as well. So that wasn't even that wasn't even difficult to avoid. But um, yeah, there's no way that we won't end up doing that. But I tried very hard to find a goal that I knew that we hadn't used. <laughs> well, well done, very well done. Burkamp suddenly changed pace through the centre. It's Burkamp. That's magnificent. Totally stranded. Okay, so uh, now that we've covered the commentary quiz, it is time to get into the nitty gritty of everything that's been happening over the last week. Now, it started somewhat disappointingly on the weekend with a FA Cup defeat to Southampton, a 1 0 defeat. Um, now, 
it's it's one of those games that I felt really, really flat over the weekend on the back of that game. And it wasn't because of the changes Arteta made, which we'll, we'll come on to shortly. And it wasn't to do with losing a game of football after a resurgent run of form. It was just at the fact that we were out of the FA Cup. And because it's an FA Cup that we've dominated over the last the last decade, it feels, um, it's, mm. it's so gutting being out because whenever we're in it, you, you feel like there's a genuine possibility that we could win a trophy. And we proved that last year when... We didn't really, no one really fancied us away at Sheffield United and we got a win there. No one fancied us in the semi-final against City and we beat them. And no one really fancied us in the final and we won that as well. So it's one of those things that I was just really, really gutted that our defence of the cup was was over and that that adventure's finished for another season. Yeah, I I didn't feel like that at all. Um, And... I was trying to work out why, because I know you were you were very flat, but I hello, can you hear me? Sorry, I can now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You might need to start that bit again. Yeah, I will. I will. Sorry, cut out. This is fucking right. I've turned off Bluetooth. Can you hear me? Okay, that shouldn't happen again. All right, super. Sorry about that. I need to learn to turn my Bluetooth. It's because I'm using a Bluetooth headset. My phone rings. Anyway, uh, I'll just completely start that again. I didn't actually quite feel like that. And the main reason for that um, is that I looked at the cup run and I looked at the fact we'd played Newcastle extra time, played Southampton, and if we got through, we had Wolves, and then we'd have Wolves again midweek. And I looked at the number of, t- you know, who everyone had in the draw, the fact that one or Liverpool, one of Liverpool or Man U were absolutely through, and the fact that teams seem to be going for it. I just don't think we had enough to win the cup this year. But I also think it comes from almost an arrogance of we've been so blessed with this FA Cup for so long that I can deal with going out like that. You see what I'm saying? I just feel like this wasn't a year we win the FA Cup. Um, Not that I wanted us to lose at all. I'd much rather we won. But I sort of just dealt with it. But, you know, I, I understand... The different perspective, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. I did, I did not feel that at all, which is, um, which is unusual. I was not happy about it, but I could compartmentalise it quite easily. Yeah, I think uh, particularly on the back of the uh, the league win um, on Tuesday, um, I, I, I think I can compartmentalise it better now, um, knowing <laughs> that I suppose the gamble of um, rotating and resting players paid off. What I did want to touch on about that whole. Because that, that was pretty much what surfaced after that game. It was everyone getting uh, Mikel Arteta about rotating um, players and playing what they considered a weakened side. Um, but I obviously listened to Mikel Arteta talk last night and, and read bits and pieces that he said. And it sounds to me like uh, at least five of those changes were kind of forced upon him. So as much as everyone's saying that he was uh, devaluing the cup and, and everything like that and not taking it seriously, it does sound like we had a genuine injury crisis over the weekend and that it was a, re- a real struggle to get the team out that we did get out. Yeah. Look, I think there's a few things here. Um, and like you, I, I, you know, I, I do get quite frustrated. One of the things I absolutely thought was that he played these two games very well and if Southampton made more changes and had a you know if they had more players back they'd have rotated more 
And I don't think they'd have beaten us. But we played our second string, which, of course, for me, raises alarm bells about the quality of the squad. You know, absolutely. I'm, I'm a bit... Con- I think that's what people were really upset about. I don't think you can blame Arteta. But I look at it. I looked at that FA Cup team. I was like, who did you want to play? G- genuinely, who... Okay, Aubameyang might have started, but no one's complaining when Martinelli comes in. Did you really want Party to play? No. <laughs> no. Uh, you know, did you want Tierney to play? No. Gabriel gets minutes short. That was, ma- you know, that was um, three out of our four main back four for most of this season. We played our first choice goalie. We played our seventy-two million pound pound winger. We played Willian. You know, this was the frustration I think was with the fact our squad is so poor below the belt if you like you know the minute a cog isn't there as we said last week it just doesn't it it doesn't work um but well i say that and then if you look at the league game i think it worked but i think if you look at those two games for me i want an arsenal manager to know that he has a squad he can rotate and for me the fa cup has become a bit like the league cup in that you don't really take it seriously until the quarter final and suddenly you're three games away if you look at when we've won it, minus the year where I think we beat, well, we played Spurs, then we played Liverpool, and you've got to play a good team then, and especially as we were, you know, fairly safe in the top four. But really, if you look at last season, we didn't play strong teams against our championship opposition, and then suddenly we were in the quarters, and we went for it, and we won. And that's that's what the Cup's become. So, I think that's a I think that's a really good point as well because I was obviously I watched a lot of football over the weekend and pretty much every game that you that I watched there were rotations within the side. Um, I look at Leicester going away to Brentford; they they changed quite a lot. Um, even Man United changed; they rest Bruno Fernandez um, against Liverpool at home. Um, so there was rotation within within um, pretty much every game across the weekend from the so called big teams. So. I think you're absolutely right about mm. your assessment that the cups kind of certainly the early rounds has kind of diminished in its uh, its quality and its uh, yeah romance, I should say. And, uh, can I be honest? I think because it links so well to the FA Cup, uh, sorry, because it links so well to the league win. The fact Southampton played their first team meant that the second half was a bit of a cakewalk yesterday. Yeah, and if you look at the way we started the first half. We blew them away. I know they went 1-0 up, but let's face it. When Lacazette missed that chance, I wasn't going, well, that's our chance for the game. I was going, wow, that's after a minute. We will get goals today. We look on it, and they already look like they've played a tough game at the weekend. And they did, just against our second string. Uh, and I, I thought, this is what you do as an Arsenal manager. And of a team that should be in the top six comfortably. And, and I felt that actually Hassan Huttel cost his team three points yesterday um, because he went for it so much in on, on the Saturday. Yeah, and I, I, I think you're probably looking at, like, like you said about certain teams taking it seriously, because I I, I think there's, with, with it being such a, a weird season, I think there's genuine belief from the, some of the lower teams like Tottenham um, that they might actually be able to win a trophy for a change. Um but uh, fingers crossed they don't, and uh, hopefully someone like Wolves wins. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, but I wanted to ask you something, actually, because um, the, ga- the game uh, went very well yesterday. Delighted. But I actually wanted to ask you, 
I felt from minute one, we looked a much more creative team. Do you think that this was uh, sort of just one of those things, or do you think the fact we had two out-and-out wingers, plus a striker, plus a number 10, rather than a striker crowbarred in on that left wing, meant we had that more creative look? Or do you think it was just Southampton were quite open and 4-4-2s can get picked apart? I think it's a combination of, of, of the two, really, because I think you could tell that Southampton weren't quite out of the races in terms of how they were on, on the weekend. And you could tell that we were exploiting the way they were trying to play, uh, particularly, like you just said, with their with their formation, and we were exploiting that quite well. But I do think... I don't think it's any surprise that that's the best game that Pepe's had in a long, long time. Um, because, I, I, I don't know, I just think I preferred him playing on the left because he didn't instantly have that instinct of cutting inside. Mm-hmm. Like, he did drift inside sometimes, but, like, primarily his first thought would be to get down the wing and attack the fullback or, or, or keep it on his left foot. And it just made us a lot more balanced. Um and that, that was my takeaway from it. So I, I, I think you've definitely hit on something there by saying that, obviously, without having a Bamiang there, um, who we've spoken about before, that from a, um, a creative sense, a Bamiang doesn't really do anything. In the build-up to goals, he doesn't do anything. He finishes them off, um, mm. which is the problem with having him there. But I did, I did very much enjoy the fact that we were able to produce a performance like that without him. And it does kind of... Don't know. It kind of shows that maybe he's a bit a bit of an issue about where to play him because obviously you do want to find a way of getting a Bamiang into your team, but from that showing, I would say attacking wise, that's as good as we've looked for a long, long time, probably all of this season. Yeah. And I really enjoyed the game. I just thought it was a, it was a good game of football, and maybe that is a a, a big reason for it. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I thought Pepe had. Um... The thing is with Pepe, and I felt this in the FA Cup game, he is, you, you want to shake him, don't you? You want to take his shoulders and you go, come on, please. But he is, <laughs> he's going to do something, isn't he? He's going to do yeah. something. You, you can feel it and you can tell. I mean, the, I know I text you the minute it happened. That run he did uh, late in the game, he pops it through two players' legs, wins a free kick, runs about 30 yards with his sort of bizarre languid style. But that's top, top quality. Top, top quality. Um, he, 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 he looks like he's going to make something happen. And when he doesn't, it's incredibly frustrating. But that's why I just feel he's got to be on the pitch more. Um, but he can't displace what is going on on our right wing at the minute. That's for sure. No, I think, I think the only place that he can get in is on the left. Um, because Bukayo Saka... Um, I think I, I I think I think I text you when he when he scored and just said this fucking kid, <laughs> and it's just it's ridiculous. He gets better and better and better, and I can't remember the last time he had a bad game. I, I cannot remember the last time he had a bad game because he's become so consistent in everything that he does. But when he gets the ball and he runs at someone, you don't expect him to lose the ball. You expect him to either beat them or come back and keep possession of the ball. He's, he, he's so mature in being able to work out exactly when um, to do certain things. And I remember at a point in the second half where I think it, was, it must have been still 2-1 at that point. And he cut inside onto his left foot and had a shot. And he went uh, well wide. 
Mm. And Lacazette looked looked a bit sort of peed off about it. Commentators said a few things about it. And I was thinking, I don't care that he's done that because he's so confident and he's just working on instinct. Everything he's doing is natural. And I just want us to get the ball to him as much as possible because he's just so effective. It's it's scary in a good way at how good he can be. I mean, he is our talisman. He's our best player. He's our most consistent player. And he's 19. And we're actually managing him quite well. You know, talk rotation, FA Cup. You know, I think we're managing him really well. Um, I, I think the fact Arteta moved him to left back, actually, in the FA Cup game was ridiculous because this guy's becoming an absolute monster in terms of goals and assists. And you just want him in that final third because... It seems like there's nothing he can't do. The composure to go round McCarthy and then sweep home emphatically. But I've got to talk about his weak foot because most left footers don't have one. Barely have one. Look at Pepe, for example. Like Kieran Tierney, have you ever seen him play a right foot pass? Xhaka. Xhaka <laughs> as well. He has to turn, yeah. he has to <laughs> like perform <laughs> bizarre bodily functions to get his right foot away from <laughs> the ball. Um, he scores with his right foot yesterday and then produces a cross a cross for Lacazette's goal off his weaker foot where the ball's come 60 yards and it's so hard to do for a right footer both of those goals and he just does it effortlessly and the thing is you don't doubt it that's what's crazy you don't doubt for a second that he's going to miss or, or make the wrong choice or not find the correct technique here and at 19 to be doing that is marvellous. And I'm sure you saw the statistic that he's got more goals than all other teenagers in the league combined. Um, I see that, yeah. And, you know, long may this continue. And I don't see how it doesn't continue. That's the thing. I really don't because it looks, he looks brilliant. And I think Arteta deserves a lot of credit. I think he deserves credit because he's put him around the pitch and he understands where to be at the right moment. But some of the stuff he does as well is uncoachable. And I could only dream of having talent like that. Yeah, I'm going to I'm, I'm just going to go back to the uh, the assist for the Lacazette goal, because because uh, to, like you've just said, it was fantastic. But to do that on the half volley uh, from a pass from that distance and just be like, right, I'll just put it on a plate for you so you can't miss it. You can't possibly miss that. It's, it's unbelievable. It's, it's so exciting having a player of this calibre at our football club. Um, and and I, I can't remember the last time I was quite this excited about a young... It's pro- probably going back to Jack Wilshere when he broke on the scene. That's probably the last time I really, truly felt this sort of enthusiasm about a, a young player coming through. Yeah. So, Which, you know, is a tale in itself, to uh, a cautionary tale. Um, and we must try not to get carried away. But, but um, talking of the crossfield ball... I actually wanted to talk to you because I think what what Arteta did with Cedric was uh, excellent management. He played him left back, and I think that was I, I think he had a sneaking suspicion Tierney wouldn't make it, and he sort of gave him a game at left back to see how he would do. And then I feel like prepping him in that way for the same opposition is exactly the kind of management we want to see. That is top tier. But I don't know if you noticed this. Cedric played mainly off his left foot in the FA Cup game. As in, he tried to go around the outside, um, tried with, you know, he kept cutting back and doing these looping balls with his right foot. 
which just kept going out of play, which was really poor and incredibly frustrating. But in the Southampton game, what he did was, and it reminded me of, um, do you remember when Chelsea had Antonio Conte and Moses played left wing back? Yeah. He never touched the ball. He just swept it first time over the defender's head every time. Not one touch, just didn't look. And Cedric did that a number of times, just kept plucking it over the player, closing him down. In the cup game, he was taking a touch, maybe looking back to the centre-half. In this time, it was the first touch, every time, over the top, round the corner. And he did that so well. And it's a testament to him adapting. And I think the fact Arteta gave him that game to warm up there was spot on. And then he found a way, you know, this is how I need to receive the ball in this position. Because he hasn't played the games at left-back, clearly. But suddenly, he goes from being a ridiculous freebie to a player that can play two positions very well. And suddenly that's going, well, that's actually quite a good signing to have in your squad for a number of years instead of us lamenting the fact he's here for ages. Yeah, and I I, I think I had a conversation with someone on Twitter uh, before the game where I, I, I suggested that uh, Bakaya Saka maybe should play a left-back just to give us that balance, um, which I'm so glad he didn't. because <laughs> and, and I have to apologise to the person who uh, suggested that he, he he basically said what you just said about you can't not play him at right mid. And I just said, oh, I think it might give us a bit more balance. And I'm not alone in that because I'm pretty sure Tim Stillman also said um, quite similarly that mm. he thought that that would that maybe would happen and maybe should happen. But Cedric has just given us a, a, a huge boost because now I think if Tierney is not available, there's no question that Cedric is, is, is the understudy for left back. Um, and until we sign someone who is a natural left-footed left-back, um, that's going to be his backup position. That's going to mm-hmm. be where he's going to get minutes when we need to rest Kieran Tierney or when, when Tierney is injured. So that's a massive, massive bonus for us. I also didn't realise just how quick he is. He's rapid. Yeah, he is. He's he's rapid. I did not realise he was that quick. I knew I knew he was pr- pretty light on his feet, but... <laughs> Ridiculous. Um, but his whole performance was fantastic. I thought defensively he was sound. Um, going forwards he was great. Um, and like you said, everything he did was quick. He, he tried to get the ball moving. He tried to take one touch, just to sweep it in the direction they needed to go. And that's hands down the best game he's had in an Arsenal shirt. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think something you touched on there defensively. I thought one of the things that was really interesting... And that was sort of my biggest takeaway from the the, the league win um, was that I actually think Southampton have got a fantastic style. Their strikers dropped in. There was a moment where uh, they played the ball down the left, whipped it over from left back into Shea Adams. He did an absolutely masterful flick around the corner to Ings, who played it onto Walcott, and suddenly they were in. You can't really defend that. That was so precise. But the reason they had so much space was because we pressed forward and yeah. showed that initiative. And I'm okay. I want Arsenal to be that. I will live with conceding goals if we take the initiative and go forward like we did. We'll all live with that because really that's the Arsenal we want. And I know I've been singing Arteta's praises about shoring us up defensively. And I think we saw that in the second half because we locked them up. And that's a very good quality for a team to have. And I did think we got the third goal at just the right time as well. But... He has given us that base to believe we can see see games out, even a, a goal up. Um, but I just think that 
attacking intent is what has been so missing. And it was back, and it came at the detriment of a few chances for Southampton. But I, we, carry, we carried on and carried on, and that was much, much, much more like it. Yeah, and I think uh, what you've just said about basically shutting up shop in the second half and making sure we didn't concede um, was highlighted probably most by the performance of Rob Holding, who I thought was outstanding, again, particularly in that second half. Um, the first half, we looked a bit ropey defensively, and, and the second half, we completely shored things up um, and restricted Southampton to very few opportunities. Um, and I thought Rob Holding uh, epitomised that with a really dominant display, particularly airily. Um, mm. Everything that came near him, he dealt with. Um, and even to be alert enough to recover David Luiz's brain fart when he just <laughs> decided to... I don't even know what he was trying to do. And then and then decides when he should clear it, I'll jump over it and hope Leno gets it. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was baffling. It was absolutely baffling. But Rob Holding did brilliantly in that in that incident to um to clear things up. And I think the form that he's in at the moment just needs to be highlighted because he's been he's become a really, really dependable and solid centre half. Um so mm. I'm, I'm so happy. I mean, I tweeted last night just saying, Rob Holding, you know. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> 100 appearances. Excited. Yeah, yeah, 100 appearances. Look, delighted for him. And, and again, it's it's amazing what a run in the team can do. And I, I'm so pleased for him. Uh, you know, there's an upgrade to be had there, but he, he he he's doing so, so well. And again, with so many different partners, some of them um, a bit more um, susceptible to an error than others as well. Um, what I what I wanted to say as well is, is you know, for me, I, I'm taking, I don't know whether I'm getting carried away. We were talking about us getting relegated a month ago uh, before that Chelsea game. You know, I think if we can avoid defeat on Sunday against Man U and you look at those games, I have so much more confidence that we're going to improve results against those sides. Um, what, what, how are you feeling about it all? Sort of trying to keep yourself in check or or full on believing? <laughs> we're going to win the league. <laughs> yeah, we are. We are. You're right. um, Silly no, I, no, I think um, definitely there is a, 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 a it's a cautious optimism uh, because everything is heading in the right direction again. And it does feel like it's starting to become enjoyable watching Arsenal play again, uh, which hasn't been said for, for quite a while. But I think it's so important to remind ourselves that there's going to be blips along the way. There's going to be a few defeats here and there. Um, it's not going to be a straightforward process. And I agree with you. I think avoid defeat on the weekend is is far more important to us than going all out to try and win that game. Obviously, you want to win it. And that will be the, the setup that we try to go for. But I think if we can get through that game and, and, and not lose, that would be, be really important. And it just gives us that consistency because mm. we've built up such a fantastic run of form. What is it? 16 points in, out of 18? Yeah. Um, so we've built up this really, really good bit of momentum that if we can just keep that going by not, not getting beat, then that's really going to set us up well for the, uh, the fixtures that come after that. So, yeah, cautiously optimistic, but I, I feel a lot more confident going into games like yesterday where you feel like there is going to be something more about Arsenal and something that we can actually get our teeth stuck into. Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, so much of this we want to believe and... Um... I, I'm uh, I'm believing I'm believing it's going to be better. I I, I feel I, I just feel that air of like you said I, I'm I'm looking forward to the next game, not dreading it. And let's face it, that's what it that is what it's all about. 
absolutely that that is what it's all about and that's what we were missing because <laughs> so many times it just got to a game and you feel like you're almost watching it just out of loyalty more than anything else and that's not how it should feel it should feel like you you're doing something because you want to do it and you enjoy doing it um so it, yeah it's it's nice and like i said I, the other thing I, I wrote down about last night's win is that that felt like almost like our best all-round performance to date yeah, um where defensively particularly in that second half we were so much more sound um but we had that creative instinct so it's almost like we found that balance last night um that's that's been sort of eluding us for so long so really really um interesting to see how we cope going forwards absolutely absolutely okay so um a bit of transfer news that's happened obviously over the uh, the last week Firstly, we signed uh, Matt Ryan from Brighton on loan to the end of the season. Good day, mate. <laughs> um, my good friend Matt Riggs assures me that he is a good goalkeeper, which we have seen at times against Arsenal. Yeah. Um, but as an Australian, he's seen significantly more of Matt Ryan than uh, probably you or I. And that's very fair. <laughs> so that's that's really positive, and I think that was a really really smart bit of business to get him in. Um, from what I've seen, his contract's up at the end of the season as well. So there's a fair chance that becomes a permanent deal mm-hmm. uh, at some point, a la Cedric. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. um, but uh, more excitingly, today we announced the signing of Martin Odegaard. I was um, wondering how you were going to say that. <laughs> well, I watched the video of him saying his own name for uh, <laughs> about five minutes in preparation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, but he did say, he said, my name is Martin Odegaard, uh, but you can call me Martin Odegaard. So, so Martin Odegaard it is. <laughs> Which annoyed me. When I watched the video, it kind of annoyed me because I was just like, if I signed for someone and they said, uh, right, your name's Tom Dow, I wouldn't go, you can call me Tom Doe, though. <laughs> Tom Doe, though. Is... Yeah, I, Tom Doe, though, is, is a fantastic talent. Um, but anyway, so we signed him on loan from Real Madrid until the end of the season. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that signing, Andre? Well, well, he he could be Denis Suarez, um, but I don't think he is. And I have to say, when Smith Rowe went down with cramp yesterday, the deal made even more sense, didn't it? There was almost like this moment of clarity about exactly why we need someone else who can play in that role, in the creative role. Um, you know, look, I also think huge shout out to the club. Uh, both of them loans absolutely risk-free we're not spunking a load of money that we've done time and time again where we panic in January I feel like this is how the club should be run it's good management if he doesn't work out he goes will he take minutes off Smithrow yes he can play across the front three you need more than one creative player in your squad you know if we've got a game we're really struggling to break someone down instead of doing Smithrow for Odegaard you bring on you know, you bring him on for a right back and suddenly have more cre- or take him off for El Nenny or Xhaka, for example, and have that more create more creative player in midfield. I think it's a really astute signing. I've seen him play once or twice for Real Sociedad. He looks very good. He's young. Look, he's not going to have time to adapt to the league. We need him to try and hit the ground running. He hasn't played 90 minutes since June or July, maybe. And I'm a bit concerned about that because... You know, that's that's where we go. Well, is this just absolutely stupid? But uh, 
this kid was an absolute wonder kid. He was ahead of Haaland in his development. Um, and I think we should be excited. And it's the sort of, he's a very Arsenal-y player, isn't he? Of yesteryear, yeah. I suppose. And I love that it's a bit of a throwback. But uh, yeah, I, I'm confident it's going to work out really well. What do, what do you think? Yeah, I, I'm in agreement. I'm I'm fairly confident it will work out. Um, obviously, we don't want another Denis, uh, Denis Suarez situation. Um, but I think this this is a kid who's got something to prove. Um, obviously, he who knows he's probably still got hopes of making it around Madrid, which may or may not happen. But he's someone who's got something to prove after sort of just becoming a squad player more than anything else since uh, he returned from his loan from Real Sociedad. So, fingers crossed that gives him the motivation at Arsenal. And uh, I don't know, it's just, it's I, I don't understand the whole argument people worrying about Smith-Rowe's development. Having competition for places is not a bad thing. And no. like you said, you can't play Smith-Rowe every single minute of every single game. Last night, I'd have loved to bring out to bring on Odegaard instead of William. <laughs> because... Completely. Completely. Like my brother texted me when William came on and just just said why, and obviously it was because Smith Rowe um, went off. But it's just this is just the approach that the fans feel now towards towards William, that mm. and particularly he's being shoehorned into a central midfield area where that that's not really his position, and he's being asked to do a job then and not doing a job there. And I'd rather him not do a job somewhere else than in the creative hub of the team. So the fact that we're going to have two players that can play in that position now kind of negates the need to use Willian in that in in that way. So, yeah, from, from my perspective, it makes sense. From what I've read, he's a well, we know he's a very talented player from obviously his uh, his youth youth days. Um, so hard to believe it's eight years since he was uh, he burst onto the scenes of fifteen rounds. It's unbelievable, but isn't it? It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Um, you feel like his name's been around for so long that he should be older than twenty three, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah. He, it, yeah, he's mad. But um, yeah, I think I, I think good good bit of business, and hopefully it works out. Yeah, absolutely. And also Real Madrid. I mean, they they um, they must love us, mustn't they? Forty two yeah. million for Ozil, <laughs> Ceballos. Uh, I mean, we are their feeder club club. And I'm I'm all right with that. I'm all right with taking players from them. Look, um, if they want to give us uh, Sergio Ramos, as you know, I, you know, I don't even know who I'd take from Real Madrid anymore. I think I'd still take. I'd, I'd take Benzema. I think. Oh, please don't start. That's a rumor. You started with Benzema. <laughs> rumor. Would you like? Would you like to link us with Julian Draxler as well? I I, I would. Um, uh, and also Sebastian Frey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the best goalie we never had. Yeah. Oh, so dear. all sorts of rumors, but. Um, yeah, yeah. If if they want to give us some players, then uh, by all means, strengthen our squad. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Right, so I think we've covered most things that have happened in the last week. So we are going to move on to our final segment of the podcast, where we look at goals from years gone by. Now, this week, we've again chosen a theme as opposed to a specific kit. And the theme this week is January signings who scored in the year that they signed. And that was a uh, fantastic suggestion from Andre earlier today. So I'm really excited about this one. Um, Andre, do you want to tell me your first one? Yes, I do. I do. And it's uh, a player that was um, missing uh, at the weekend. Um, and if rumours are to believed, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, um, playing away from home, apparently. Have you, have you heard that? 
I have heard that rumour, but I also saw that Aubameyang uh, posted uh, a Instagram picture earlier today to say that his mother's been ill. So oh. um, I think that's uh, what's been going well, on, and that's why he's been absent. Well, I take it back then. Um, <laughs> I, uh, th- that is, that's actually my dad's fault, because he forwarded me a tweet from someone called Pogba Senior, which I believe is a parody account. So uh, he can take the blame for that one. I'll look forward to him listening to this and knowing um, he stitched me up. Um, <laughs> but uh, the goal I've got is actually it is um, from Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. When we signed Aubameyang, you know, now we're very philosophical. We're really clever about the fact that why did we invest in two strikers when we had Lacazette? Why did we spend another 50, 60 million on Aubameyang? No one was saying that at the time. When we locked Ozil down to a contract and we signed Aubameyang, the first game we had, uh, and we swapped Mkhitaryan for Sanchez, the first game we had was Everton at home. Aaron Ramsey scored a hat-trick. Uh, Mkhitaryan got a hat-trick of assists. Or maybe even got four. I think um, he got four. <laughs> I think he got four assists, which is up there, I know, is a joint Premier League record, which Arsenal have... Um, uh, I think four of the five or something. And one of the other ones added by you yeah. when he didn't play for us. Uh, by the by. But Mkhitaryan slips Aubameyang in, who is acres offside. He's uh, so far offside. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and in the days of VAR, this would never, ever, ever have stood. It should never have stood. How the lines have missed it, but who cares? It was an impotent, left-footed dink over the onrushing Pickford. And Aubameyang had arrived. And it honestly... The excitement in the ground when that went in was unbelievable. You had Ramsey there absolutely running the show from midfield. You had Mkhitaryan, and again, he was alive. He was he was his best version of himself. But we had that striker, Aubameyang, that pace, that those goals, and everything we knew about him, how clinical he was. He had one chance, one goal, front flip in front of the clock end, and it was just, oh my word, here we go. And it was so exciting at the time. Um, and he's been a great signing, but that's not not what this is for. That goal, cheeky goal, never should have stood. But I just remember that I was I was so it was so exciting. It was so exciting. It felt again like a a, a new era. Yeah, and it's uh, very unfortunate that uh, that whole era didn't really come to fruition. Obviously, the Mkhitaryan deal turned out to be an absolute disaster of a deal for all involved. <laughs> um, it was pretty much downhill from there for, for Henrik Mkhitaryan. Um, Ramsey, did, uh, obviously, we let him go for free, so that was pretty disastrous. The Ozil deal was a train wreck. So the only yeah, element focus the, on the lovely goal. <laughs> the only element of that performance of that moment that actually worked out in any extent was Aubameyang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, exactly. But a lovely goal nonetheless. Yeah, really lovely goal that should never have stood, but a lovely goal nonetheless. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're going to look at my first uh, first option now. And my first option is going back to 2009 when we signed a certain Russian called Andrei Arshavin. So lovely first name and Mm -hmm. uh, a a lovely footballer in his day as well. And the goal that I think of uh, when we think about Arshavin, of course we think of his four at Anfield and some of the other fantastic strikes. But his first goal for the club was against Blackburn Rovers in a 4-0 win, I believe, at the Emirates. Mm-hmm. Danielson picks the ball up from deep, uh, plays a really sort of wide pass to our Shavin on the left-hand side. 
a little jinking run inside, some trickery to get past the defender, and then an unstoppable shot into the roof of the net from the most acute of angles. So it was just him announcing his arrival, which obviously this is this is what this is about. It's about those announcements of, of their presence. And that's what he did. And what, what I, I found incredible about Andre Arshavin, particularly after that goal, is that you, you knew we had a player then who could produce something out of nothing. He could produce the extraordinary. And I remember particularly a few months down the line thinking that we'd signed a future Footballer of the Year. I thought for sure the next year he'd be in the running for Footballer of the Year. Um, and unfortunately, it, it never quite hit those lofty heights. But his ability was unquestioned. His ability to do something out of nothing was just so exciting at times and it really really got you off your seat when, whenever you went to have a player like Andre Arshavin mm. I, I remember I remember after he joined and we had Nasri, Arshavin, Fabregas Van Persie and Walcott and we really were spectacular to watch weren't we And but I remember that goal against Blackburn we'd, I think we'd just come off a record of nil-nils <laughs> um, yeah <laughs> And he he lit up the Emirates that day. And James Madison recently referred to that goal, didn't he, after he scored one um, in a post-match interview. Did you see that? I didn't, no. Okay, so Madison, who's uh, developing, um, and air quote, into a bit of a character because he dares (laughs) to talk to the press, not going, it's one game at a time. Uh, (laughs) A bit new star soccer press conference. Uh, (laughs) That is a really nice reference that I know you would understand, but not many others would. Uh, One game at a time. uh, Boys played well. um, Next game. Jump is three goalposts. Three three points are all that mattered. Um, Yeah, it it was, uh, you know, he said, when I got that close to the goalie, I remember after Arshavin scored that goal, I spoke to my dad about it when I was growing up. And he said that, you know, the great thing about that is that is the only space when you're that close to the goalie is to smack it into the roof of the net, which is exactly what Madison did. But then he referred to that Arshavin goal. So uh, in folklore, apparently. Apparently so. Um, But yeah, Arshavin was one of those players that uh, I suppose he did divide opinion like like so many uh, attacking players do because he wasn't, that interested in being defending or anything like that. He wanted to be in the final third. He wanted to be scoring goals or, or, or assisting. But um, I just, I, I, I really, really liked Andre Arshavin, and uh, it was sad that he sort of just sort of dwindled away from uh, from the Arsenal first team over the years. But uh, certainly the first couple of years when he was at Arsenal, he was just so exciting to watch. Yeah, he really was. He really was. Um, okay, my my next one uh, is. Um, uh, a Spaniard, uh, January signing, um, and uh, this goal is it's actually in training. Uh, Denis Suarez scored a goal in training across Leno that was just lovely after beating a cone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm joking, I'm joking. That was the worst of the January signings, um, in, in my opinion, but more on that shortly, I guess. Um, <coughs> the person I, um, or certainly the goal I thought of when, when I said this idea, you you took um, you took two of them that I I definitely thought of, and I don't think many people would think of this goal as being a, a significant goal from a January signing, but of course I do um, from our Emirates preview 
sorry, our Emirates numbers pod we did. Uh, you, everyone should know my love of Nacho Monreal. Uh, and we scored a, he scored his first Arsenal goal in the driving rain in uh, South Wales at Swansea. Um, I, I can't actually remember how the ball breaks to him. I think he's in the box uh, where he sh- really shouldn't be for a left back. He, he scuffs a shot into the floor. It somehow bobbles over the keeper's hand and goes in. And this was at a time we were hounding Tottenham down for fourth place. Um, or they were hounding us, and we weren't playing well. It was a Jovino era. He actually set up the... Did he score the second goal? He, he scored he the did. second goal, yeah. He scored the second goal, but we were really struggling to, to score. It was one of those runs where we just didn't look like scoring. And everyone loved Kieran Gibbs, and I, I felt Monreal really started to show how good a player he was. Um, and and he, he finished this, and it was just so exciting. I think we've discussed our love of a goal from a left-back. But he took it so well, so coolly, um, and it meant we bent, beat Swansea. And we really have struggled to beat Swansea over the years um, and set us on our way to a really important win. And I've got a picture on my phone of me celebrating that evening with a packet of nachos. <laughs> of course you do. Of course you do. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> what, of course you celebrate with a packet of nachos. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, but he set the number, the, the, you know, he set the trajectory of the number 17 shirt for Alexis. He showed him what he needed to do when he arrived uh, <laughs> wearing that 17 shirt. He, he, he set it up. In many ways, Monreal scored all of Alexis's goals. In many ways, going back to the uh, Emirates squad number specials, in many ways, number 17, Nacho Monreal, should have been higher than Alexis Sanchez. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just saying. Just putting it out there. Just putting it out there. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. Okay, that brings me on to my second choice. Now, my second choice is a goal that doesn't officially count as a goal um, because it came in a shootout. But it comes from the 2014 January transfer window where we acquired the services of one Kim Kallstrom. <laughs> and... It is ridiculous and something that only Arsenal Football Club could do to sign someone who has a broken back. (laughs) (laughs) And somehow Kim Kallstrom is still cemented into Arsenal folklore because of a crucial penalty that he took in the semi-final of the FA Cup against Wigan that year. And it was a really cool penalty. He sent the goalkeeper the wrong way and just rolled it into the other side. Um... Really good penalty, and I, I don't know if you've you've ever read the article where he's spoken about that moment. Have you I read have. that before, Andre? Yeah, it's, it's, fun, fan, it's fantastic. fantastic. It's so fantastic. Uh, I'll, I'll dig it out and post it onto our social media channels. Um, but it's it's such a fantastic article because it just shows how momentous and how special it was to Kim Kalsen to be part of this football club and to be part of the history of this football club. And he's one of those players who. Casual fans will forget ever played for Arsenal and fans of opposition will forget he ever played for Arsenal. But it's something that you and I will always remember. I suppose it's one of those almost like I was there when John Jensen scored moments that uh, Kim Kallstrom after his broken back coming back and taking a penalty. The little little hero that he is. (laughs) And helping us to end our... um, trophy drought and unfortunately he didn't he didn't take part in, in any way in the final but he did help enormously in getting us there yeah absolutely i remember his debut was against swansea um he started and flamini scored a last minute own goal 
uh, after we turned it round, and I felt that that showed Kim what he was in for. Um, I I uh, I was at Wembley that day for the Wigan game, which uh, I think there's two times in my life, and they were both from that FA Cup run, where I have been so stressed from Arsenal and like ex- emotionally exhausted, and and the Wigan game before the whole game was one of them. I, I was so drained. I barely celebrated Ramsey's goal in that cup final. I was so drained. But this penalty shootout against Wigan, who were in the championship, was so stressful. But I was at the I was at Wembley and I was at the lower tier behind the goal opposite the penalties. Yeah. It was easier to turn round and look at the big screen than watch the penalties in front of us. <laughs> so we had this bizarre delayed reaction. And can you imagine when you see Kim Kalstrom, you're like, who's taking that? You're sort of like doing that sort of squint to look into the distance. Is that Kalstrom? And you go, <laughs> Is that oh, number 29? No. <laughs> oh, no, not Kalstrom. Like, you just go, oh, God, I've never seen him. I've never seen him shoot. What's he going to do here? He's done it. Kim, he's done it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, you're right. Just bizarre signing pure arsenal written all over it but yeah the fact he was a football manager legend as well he was he, yeah he was without for stardom um but yeah fantastic and and you know fingers crossed martin erdegaard is more uh more arshavin and abamyang than um suarez and kalstrom absolutely uh four four wonderful but very different moments from uh, those selections but uh really really enjoyable nonetheless um that does bring us to the end of this episode of the Boys in Red and White podcast. Thank you very much to everyone for listening. Um, if you'd like to see what we're up to on social media, you can search for us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook by searching for the Boys in Red and White podcast. And also we have a website which is www.theboysinredandwhite.com. So it leaves me only to say thank you very much, Mr. Grayson, for your time as always. Pleasure. Pleasure is all mine. Thank you. No, the pleasure is mine. And we will be back next week with another podcast. Thank you and goodbye.